The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So, Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is a little bit different, but we are going to be talking about the universe and inner conflict and how do we mediate within our own selves and with people of other races and people of the universe, basically, here on this planet, to to come together as one. And so I have this wonderful book that I've been reading called The Holy Universe, A New Story of Creation for the Heart, Soul, and Spirit by David Christopher. And one of the um, testimonials says, For those of us who call ourselves spiritual but not religious, Christopher has done a marvelous job in helping us reclaim the word holy. And that's by John Robbins, who is a New York Times bestselling author of The Diet for a New America, The The Food Revolution, and others. So let me tell you a little bit about our author. Um, He's coming to us from beautiful Sonoma County in California. And David Christopher left behind a lucrative corporate and aviation career to address his lifelong desire for answers to humanity's eternal question of our place in the universe. The dialogues he created in the Holy Universe are a result of 15 years of deep immersion in the works of new thought leaders. David wrote the book in part for people like him who call themselves spiritual but not necessarily religious, who want to not only make sense of the craziness going on in the world around us, but also to find a meaningful path through the global global crises that we collectively face. And you can find out more about him in the book at facebook.com slash the holy universe or linkedin.com and you can just search David Christopher. So without further ado, uh, I am really pleased to have you on. David, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Well, this is really a beautiful book. I really enjoyed it. And I was thinking about how you and I were just talking about how it really fits in to the idea of healing conflict. When we heal the conflict in, the, in, in our world, heal the conflict between people, heal the conflict within ourselves. So, so tell us, why is it that you wrote this book in the way you wrote this book, which, by the way, is really great. Oh, thank you. Um, I wrote the book because I was actually looking for a new story for myself. Um, I, was, I had been, as, as you had said in the introduction, I had really 
been looking and, and really enjoying this new story that the latest of modern science has been giving us as far as the creation of the cosmos and the formation of the galaxies and what we're learning on, on, in that regard. But there was a part of me that really wanted something more. There, those, those works tended to be more academic and spoke to my head, and I really wanted something that sounded kind of like what I grew up with the poetry of the scriptures and the sound and the cadence of the liturgy that I grew up with. So that was prime, my primary uh, purpose, was to really to try and explain the world to myself, um, as well as anyone else, of course, who would be interested in, in, in reading about it. So I wanted a creation story that, was, that really was friendly to the best of modern science, but also had a really strong um, metaphorical uh, way of telling the story. Yes. And so tell us about our characters. We've got, you know, basically the seeker and the sage. So tell us a little bit about that whole thing and how you use that to tell the story. Okay. Well, the seeker is a person who, at the beginning of the book, runs into a problem of losing a job, but also realizes that not only have I lost my job, I've lost my way. Yes. And there's you know, a conflict arises within his fa- within his family, as far as you know. Okay, I'm, I'm, the money is no longer coming in. This is a bit of a problem, but his heart is no longer into his work. So he, he comes to the sage really at the um, at the suggestion of his wife, and uh, starts to talk with the sage about his not just his his smaller dilemmas, but his larger dilemma of not really having a larger story. And it's interesting, as, as um, I, I know your show is very much focused on conflict, that the smaller stories that we tell ourselves quite often feed into the conflicts that we have with those around us. And those smaller stories are also informed by larger stories. And what the sage actually does is tell the seeker, let, let, let's, says, let's start with the biggest story. Let's start with your story of creation, because right now you don't have a story of creation. You've left behind the the stories that was given to you as a child from the church, but you really don't buy into what the sage calls the big dumb rock theory um, that came out of the uh, European Enlightenment and the the Renaissance, which is really more of a a mechanistic view of the world. And science is beginning to tell a different story from that. So why don't we start with that story, and then we're going to examine the rest of your story. Right, right. And that it's all really all one anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. we, are, yes. we are really one with the universe. And I love, in the very beginning you talked, the story of the universe mm-hmm. is a young story. It is changing as we discover and rediscover more about ourselves, our planet, our galaxy, our universe, and the infinite. Mm-hmm. So you must hold the story with a light grasp, much as you would gently hold a bird trembling in your hand, not so tight as to harm the bird and even willing to release it at the right time and let it fly off into history. And that's what the sage tells tells him. And I, I think that's so beautiful. I love it. You know, you. your your book is, is almost like poetry. Yes, almost like poetry. Um, because I actually was as surprised at it as, as anyone else when, it started, when I started writing it. There, there were times when I would kind of look around and say, all right, where did this come from? Because uh-huh. I don't, I've never really identified my, I'm getting used to identifying myself as a writer. So um, 
and it, it, it's it's it was actually a very fun experience when that the words came out that way. And for some reason, I really liked having that, paying attention to how the word, you know, choosing the words right and making sure that they flowed. And as you know, you can't tell. Obviously, your listeners can't tell, but on the page, it's actually spaced out more like a parable or a yes. poetry or a dialogue. Yes, and I really like that with my older eyes to be able to read it like that too. It just It's just enjoyable to read, just even the way that it's written out is enjoyable to read. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Good. that's something else, yeah. It's just, you know, and then it, well, because it's in these paragraphs on each side of the page and you kind of, it makes you kind of think about that paragraph before you go to the next one. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, really interesting. I don't know if you thought about it like that. But. I actually did. I it, it it's it. I found myself. I found actually the words saying it really kind of having a sense of all right. This is where a new paragraph needs to start, and this is how you need to delineate it. Yeah. Um. So it was it was it was interesting to lay it out too. Yes. Um. Actually, a lot easier than we expected when I when the designer and I got together. Right. Right. And I don't know if I can reveal this, but, you know, basically, I think it's okay to reveal it. But I think that's part of it that would hit me is that the sage is a woman. So we've got this mm-hmm. yin yang and we've got this female and male energy that we all have. You know, mm-hmm. we don't always want to admit it that we've got this energy, but we do. We all have the, the, this together. And the, the whole idea is that we're not separate that yes. you know that that's part of your book as well is that that there there's an illusion of separateness mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yes and the other thing too about the identity of the sage um it, it's it's kind of fun i always make sure that i'm kind of careful talking about it because it is even if you haven't read the book and you listen to you know a radio show and people will have this tendency to hear a sage and they hear a seeker and they do tend to see in most audiences they do tend to see two men and then when there's that aha moment, you may have had it in the book itself because it's not revealed until page 15 that, oh, the sage is a woman. Nearly all my readers have stopped at that point and said, oh, really? Hmm. And I think that's important because that gets into the unexamined assumptions that we have when we pick up a story or when we think about something or we hear something. We have pictures and images in our head that it's not an accident that people see two men when they start to read this. Yes. And I think that's important to bring out as we get into our in, into even you know, our personal healing but also our global healing that we get willing that that we are willing to look at what are the unexamined assumptions here. Yes. And and we talk it's interesting how we use some of these masculine uh, and feminine sayings like mother earth, father mm-hmm. time, Right? Mm-hmm. It's just, um, I, I think that's kind of fascinating as well. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit in, in the overview. You talk about, you know, the new story. So what's the story that is the new story? What, what's it replacing? And why, why is that so important? Well, the, the, the essential story that we've had for about the past 10,000 year, 10, years as humanity really is one of separation. As we started becoming really serious about agriculture and staying in one place and being able to grow cities and start creating stratified societies, our stories started to reflect 
more of a separation and even a superiority over creation versus what we grew up with for two for two um well it de- depending on how you um how you uh uh you know which which person you believe as far as the when we started developing language anywhere from 30 to 100,000 years ago when we started to speak as a species the stories that we came up with then had this tendency of connection with all of the cosmos with the earth, with earth Right. With with all of creation, and it had to be because you had to pay attention to what your surroundings were. You had to be connected to it because if you weren't paying attention, if you sat in the wrong place or went down the wrong way, you you, you might become injured, or you as far as sitting on a poisonous plant, or you might become injured or somebody's lunch right. um, if you're walking along in in a, in a forest or a savanna and you, you're you're your prey. So you had to know what was going on around you. Right, right. And as we became agriculturalists, what I call modern mind versus ancient mind, we left a lot of that behind, including that story of connection. We started telling ourselves stories of separation. And that became hyper, um, oh God, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? That became really uh, exacerbated when we started looking at the world scientifically. Not that I have anything against science, because I don't. In fact, science is really the bedrock of what informed this story. Right. But right. The, it was the mechanistic view that came out of the science of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment five, three or five hundred years ago that started telling us the story of we can do whatever we want. Right. It is our creation, and we can do whatever we want, what we want, whatever we want without consequence. Right. We get so disconnected, and then something happens like Katrina, or mm-hmm. a tsunami, oh, yeah. right, or a tsunami, or an earthquake, or yeah. something, and then we recognize that. Wait a minute, you know, we really are connected to Mother Earth, well, very much connected to Mother Earth, and we better remember it. Yes, and and that is the new story that we are we are not separate. We we never were separate. That we are a part of this unit. We belong. To the creation, we're not fallen. We're not flawed. There's nothing wrong with us per se. Now, there is dysfunction that happens in the web of life, and we are behaving in a dysfunctional way. But that's also what the universe does. It goes into dysfunction yes. over its over its evolution, and then evolution has this fantastic way of saying, "Well, if things are not working right, things are out of whack. What can we create from this?" What can right. be created from this? Right. So that's right. part of the new story is that we really belong here. And we are as much a part of the universe as the smallest particle as is the largest galaxy and cluster of galaxies. We belong to the infinite as much as they do. And, you know, when we think about the crises of like, you know, like when the dinosaurs were destroyed or all the different times that this mm-hmm. earth has gone through these crises and the, the uh, catastrophic happenings um it reminds me of the chinese word for for crisis and conflict is made up of two words Mm -hmm. and it's crisis danger okay crisis Mm -hmm. is the danger and the other word is opportunity Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that that's the beauty of this this again this this yin yang this this the opposites the danger and the opportunity are really there all together yes i one of the as you uh, it reminds me of one particular part of the book where 
um, I describe what is called the oxygen, oxygen catastrophe that happened a few billion years ago, mm-hmm. where the, as, as, we, as life learned to photosynthesize, it gave off oxygen. And the book says, a vile and poisonous fire that slowly spread and turned the color of the sky an ominous, deadly blue. And I, yeah, it was a, that was a fun one because yeah. we think of a blue sky as the color of life and beauty, and oh, who who doesn't love a beautiful blue sky? Right. And yet there was a time in Earth's history that blue was deadly, oxygen was deadly, mm. and and it almost wiped everything out. Um, James Lovelock, if I remember correctly, he said at one point that the oxygen tata- catastrophe w- brought us even closer to the edge than any of the mass extinctions we've gone through, including the one that we're in right now, including the catastrophes that we're in right now, that one was even more precarious. Mm. So, and out of that, life figured out, well, how can, that we can use this oxygen and became 10, 20 times more powerful when it harnessed the power of oxygen. Mm. And that's when multicellularity really took off and, and animals and plants and complex critters could, could evolve out of that. So out of this horrible catastrophe came fantastic, unimaginable um, forms of life. Yeah. What it, so given that, you know, just so my, my listeners here know, what do you hope that this book will, will enlighten us to or will accomplish? Well, one of the things that, several things. One, I, I really hope to give an... an an example of a story based on science, but really speaks to, as the subtitle says, to the heart and the soul and the spirit, and gives us that, and feeds that craving that we have for story. Because we love story. We want story. We crave story. Imagine going to the movies, and there's no story. Well, nobody goes, you know, we go to see tragedy or we go to see comedy, which is, you know, other people's tragedy, according to Woody Allen. That's what we want. We love that. We, we want to know what happens next. Right. So, and that, which, so I wanted to have a story that, uh, I wanted to put together a piece that gave that kind of story that tells us what our place is in the, in the universe in that way. And, and, when, and when you tell stories, people can relate. If you would have done it as a nonfiction where you're just kind of, you know, uh, didactic, it, it wouldn't connect exactly. with your, with your reading audience as well. And, and I know for me as a professional speaker and, and when I'm doing mediation, the more I can tell stories, the more people yeah. can relate. Yeah. yeah. They can feel what it feels like. They can, they can see what it's like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then, and then there's always fun little surprises like, you know, the deadly blue of the sky, that mm-hmm. things like that also crop up too. In, in, a, in a good story. Um, the other thing, too, that I hope the book does is offer a framework for looking at the global predicament, to use a, a way too small of a word, the, for, to describe what we're in, the global predicament that we've gotten ourselves into mm. as a result of our behaviors on the planet. Um, and cl- catastrophic climate change is just one. That's the one that gets a lot of press these days, but we hear very little about the six mass extinction that's already underway. And we also don't pay as much, we don't see the connection between the ecological crises that we face as well as the social justice crises that we face, as well as the spiritual crises that we face, the the crises of meaning, especially in a consumer culture like ours. Mm -hmm. All of those are related. 
And underneath all of those is the story of separation. Right. So I wanted to bring this story of connection that taught, and then also showed the history of humanity from ancient mind to modern mind and to what the sage calls planetary mind, which is now emerging in response to these crises of there is a better story. Let's tell a better story and let's pay attention to the fact that there are limits to what Earth can give us. There are limits to what we can do. And there are lessons and laws of the web of life that um, we have to pay attention to. Kind of on a lighter note, you, you may have seen there's a, there's a bumper sticker out there called that says, Nature Bats Last. And <laughs> the thing is, is that, no, nature doesn't bat last. Nature owns the stadium, sells the tickets, <laughs> yeah. owns all the teams, and calls all the shots. So it doesn't matter what we think we can do. There was actually a New York op-ed a few weeks back that said, you know, there really isn't any limit to what humans can do as far as growing. And that is a a, a catastrophically dangerous worldview. Yes. You know, when you were talking about all the changes, the global changes, as we think of um, less water, uh, Mm -hmm. I I think of those are huge conflict-inducing issues oh yeah because you know if we don't have enough water you can't live without water that's survival yeah and and then how are people going to recognize that they're one so that they can help each other mm-hmm. and not you know steal the water you know upstream and mm-hmm. so that the people downstream don't have water how how do we do that so on so many levels we need to recognize that that we really are not separate this is, you know, I guess I love it like when the, you know, um, astronauts go up in space and then they say, oh, my gosh, this one world. Mm-hmm. It just is amazing. From far away, it looks one. But we forget that when we're just in our little lives here um, thinking only about ourselves and not recognizing that we really aren't separate. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, and there, and that actually also there is the reality, too, of, of we did evolve with um, structures in our brain that recognize that connection. And then there are other structures in that brain that also really want this particular organism to live. So we have both within us, um, both the proclivity towards cooperation and the proclivity towards competition. Yes. And that, you know, that, that throws, throws an interesting... Um, uh, an interesting Kaleidoscope, dilemma into the mix, yeah. Right, right. Let's talk about the three minds, if you could explain what the three minds are. Okay. Well, as I said earlier, ancient mind is what came, is what emerged out of evolution as Homo sapiens came came into being. And once we started, once, once we started talking and communicating, we started telling stories. So an ancient mind is that part of humanity that came out of the Rift Valley of Africa and, and migrated all across the planet. So, and as it, as it migrated, I forget how many, you know, like two miles a year for many thousands of years or, or mm. something like that. But we, we started, um, and I'm very much simplifying the, this, this story, by the way, for, right, for right. the anthropologists out there. I know this right. is very simple. Um, but as we, as we spread across the planet, we learned different things about the different ecosystems we were in. We created niches, and niches also affected how we behaved. 
we created thousands of stories and thousands of cultures and thousands of languages. And that's pretty much how humanity was for most of its existence up until what Jared Diamond calls the world until yesterday, which 10,000 years ago, really when you look at it from the wider picture of um, the, the, the evolutionary history of, of Earth and, and the cosmos, is just a blink not even, you can't even, it's a, it's a rounding error in, in terms of time. And right about that time, that's when we started settle, settling into and creating agricultural cities and villages and agricultural civilizations. And, and that, this age calls modern mind, mm-hmm. telling itself a story of separation and telling itself a story of domination, as well as a story of um, creativity, too. I mean, there's, there's amazing things that we have done, and I'm certainly not advocating that we all go back to, you know, and reject everything that modern mind has given us. But it has brought us dangerously close to this catastrophic abyss yes. of destroying. Certainly our civilizations are on the chopping block, and it's possible that when you go through a mass extinction, it's those more complex organisms that are at the most danger. You know, the bacteria will be fine. Right. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the smaller little, little teeny tiny animals will be fine um, that, are, that are microscopic. The larger animals maybe not, are, are, in, are, in, are in much more danger. Right. Much greater danger. It, isn't that even what happened with the dinosaurs? That is what, yes. Yeah. Yes. That that had, had, had the earth had some kind of burble in its, well, actually, more likely thing to happen is that asteroid that hit 65 million years ago, if it actually hadn't been hit by something else and knocked off course. It was only about a three-minute window, by the way, that this particular asteroid had to, to uh, hit Earth, wow. um, one way or the other. And the dinosaurs might still be here. And mammals would not have... They, they existed at the time, but they were so small, they were able to find niches, even though we went into this great um, uh, uh, catastrophic climate change at that point. Hmm. So they were able to survive that. So, so, and this is part of our evolution. I mean, we we it is what it is. You know, the older I get, I I say to myself, you know, could have, would have, should have, all these things. But it is uh-huh. what it is, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. I, I don't do that anymore because I it, I hear people all the time. Well, you should have done this. You, you know, when I'm in mediation and everybody, yes. you did this wrong. You should have done this. Well, you know what? If I could, if I had a time machine. Maybe I could go back, but I yeah. don't have a time machine, so I can't go back. So it is what it is. Now, she talks, the, the sage talks about the planetary mind. So what mm-hmm. is the planetary mind, and what's the responsibility? Well, the planetary mind, I mean, the responsibility that the sage talks about as far as planetary mind is concerned, it's threefold. It really is paying attention to the fact that there are limits and there are almost... I shy away from the term laws because it just sounds so law-like. Yeah, yeah. So I call it lessons of the web of life, which, for instance, if you pour too much smoke into one particular ecosystem, like, say, the, 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 the fire at Yosemite that happened um, back in August and September, that actually started creating a little bit of climate change, a little bit of changes to the ecosystems around there. If we put poisons into the water, we can't contain those. Those start filtering all throughout Earth. We even find them in ice core samples in Greenland and Antarctica. Um, there are hydrocarbons from, from the burning of fuels and plastics and whatnot in, in every p- part, of the, part of the world. 
So David, we have to recognize David? that's the first responsibility. I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, let's um, because we're just about out of time, I wondered yeah. if you could just give some of them, like to learn to live with the means of the Earth's bounty, maybe just a couple last thoughts. of, And then people are going to want to read the book because they're going to want to find out everything else. So just if you could just tell us a couple things about the resp- the, the tasks that we Those have. tasks, okay. And the second one is really recognizing how do we, the, the, the issue of social justice. Um, how do we look at the inequities between those who are very wealthy and those who are very poor? So um, that's, that's, the, that's another task. And then the third task is to find meaning as we grow out of some of the old um, mythologies that we had and really looking at, well, what is really good? What is science teaching us? And how can we find meaning outside of just simply consuming our, our, way, our way through, through life? Yes. Learning where enough is yes. as far as providing for what you, really, what, what you need to survive and maybe a few luxuries, but beyond that, you know, how do you start? How do we start sharing the bounty of the web of life? Right, and then you pull it all together with really reconnecting, and that's our spiritual sense of mm-hmm. just reconnecting with each other. But we are out of time, so just give your website um, about the Holy Universe by David Christopher, and we got to go. Okay, it's uh, the website is www.theholyuniverse. H O L Y Universe. And uh, you can also, as, as you said, I do have the Facebook and, and other places that you can find me. Well, thank you, David, so much. And we will look for the next book. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. You too. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Uh, join us every Monday morning and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. It's about trust. Thank you.